Support for this podcast is provided by Paradox, the conversational AI company helping global talent acquisition teams at Unilever, McDonald's and CVS Health get recruiting work done faster. Let's face it, talent acquisition is full of boring administrative tasks that drag the hiring process down and create frustrating experiences for everyone. Paradox's AI assistant, Olivia, is shaking up that paradigm, automating things like applicant screening, interview scheduling, and candidate Q&A, so recruiters can spend more time with people, not software. Curious how Olivia can work for your team? Then visit paradox.ai to learn more. There's been more of scientific discovery more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi there, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 444 of the Recruiting Future podcast. With so much unhelpful noise around the topic of the future of work, I'm taking a deep dive into the practicalities of what's actually going on over a series of three podcast episodes. In the previous episode, I spoke to author Julia Hogsbaum about some of the challenges of this emerging new phase of work, and I want to continue this theme in this episode. My guest this week is the perfect person to help me do this, and it's great to have him back on the show. Bruce Daisley is a speaker, author and workplace culture enthusiast. Previously a VP at Twitter, Bruce now hosts one of the world's most popular podcasts on making work better. Hi Bruce and welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show again. Could you just introduce yourself and tell us what you do for the benefit of people who may not have heard the previous interview or or come across your work before? Yes, yeah, so I'm um, Bruce Daisley. I'm, I guess I'm sort of a workplace culture obsessive. So I'm someone who is, I spend my time thinking about workplace culture, writing about po- workplace culture and podcasting on it. And in a former life, I used to work at Twitter. I was the European vice president for Twitter and I've worked at other technology environments in the past too. Fantastic stuff. Now, it was quite some time ago since we last spoke and we were talking about workplace culture and the the issues that surrounded it then, which was um, at least a year, if not two years before the pandemic. I've been sort of following your podcast, I followed your podcast with interest through the pandemic and afterwards in terms of the work you've done to kind of really analyse what's going on in the workplace now and and what kind of needs to happen moving forward without i suppose going you know all the way back to the pandemic and through everything that happened because obviously everyone would be very familiar with 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 how how work changed over the last sort of six or six months or so what what are the the key issues that, that you're seeing in the workplace from the people that you're talking to Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, it's a really interesting one because what we've witnessed over the last couple of years is a couple of things. A lot of workers have been given an insight into different ways of working that they've found to be very agreeable. Simultaneously, a lot of organizations have gradually come to terms with the the, the idea that the world has changed. Really interestingly, if we delve into some of the research, there's a wonderful academic called Professor Nick Bloom at Stanford University. And he's been tracking what firms expect 
to offer to their workers in terms of flexibility. Now, at the start of the pandemic, in a global global survey, the uh, the average firm expected to give their workers about one day a week at home. Now it's up to about two and a half days a week at home as an average. So it's an indication really that I think there's been a realization that working in a different way has been successful and has been incredibly popular with workers. And I think that's where we are. We're, we're in a stage at the moment where I think there's still a generation of leaders who are finding this uncomfortable and a sort of cohort of people who are finding this be far less easy to manage than maybe what they were used to in the past. And we're seeing amongst workers, this is proved to be so popular that if we're thinking about the impact of this on the recruitment, sector, this is going to be a defining quality. To some extent, flex is the new pay and understanding how critical this is for candidates, I think is a really important realisation right now. Absolutely. And I think the one of the things that strikes me is that is sometimes getting lost in the noise that's around the debate. So, you know, in the UK, you've got various government figures coming out and demanding that people go back to, to work. You know, there's a constant stream of articles about articles with no facts or <laughs> figures in them, um, opinion pieces going on about productivity dropping off. And, and then I suppose on the other side, I've, I've spoken to people who, who advocate kind of fully remote fully remote working who who are kind of saying that hybrid hybrid doesn't work so uh, it, it's quite difficult to get the sort of signal for the noise through the noise at the moment isn't it yeah i think that you're almost uh, spot on you're precisely spot on in with regards to to how, how we're thinking about this because yeah i think it's uh, it's fair to say that, that exactly right that hybrid is in many ways worse than either of the other alternatives. The critical thing is that it's what's worse is uncoordinated hybrid. So the office had a network effect to it. The office had an effect where the glory of the office was bumping into someone and having one of those water cooler moments, those casual encounters. And two things are going wrong right now. Either there's a lack of coordination. Firms are saying to their workers, come in on whatever days you want or come in on three days that of your choice. And as a consequence, the office is being stripped of that network effect. We're just not bumping into, into people. Or alternatively, we're making a journey into the office. We're finding ourselves on back-to-back video calls with people who are working from home. And we're thinking, this is frustrating. This this isn't the coming together, the the conversation that I was anticipating. And I think it's an illustration that we just need to be a bit more structured. We need to enter into this, even though maybe it feels a little bit countercultural to the freedom that a lot of people are celebrating. We need to start laying down some rules. My favorite example of the, uh, the, the way that firms are experimenting with this, I chatted to one organization who said, look, our culture is Wednesday plus one. And I just love the, the simplicity of it. I love the, the intuition of it. So the idea of Wednesday plus one is that actually they're going to go out of their way to cultivate this network effect on Wednesdays. And they want plus one because they want a degree of, a degree of collegiality. They just want the office to have a bit of life the rest of the time. So then you might end up with, okay, so the the finance department are in on Mondays and Wednesdays. And you might end up with other teams who say, look, we're not going to be in, you know, in the in the same patterns. 
and they're going to just use the office in a different way. Now, clearly, it begs the question, how big an office do we need going forward? But I think it's got the degree of coordination that has been absent from from some of the experiments that I've witnessed right now. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. There, during the pandemic, there was this this sense of just trying to replicate everything that worked in a face-to-face office, in a face-to-face office on, on Zoom. And, you know, I watched people, you know, having to, to check in on Zoom every morning to prove that they're at their desk and, you know, then having back-to-back video calls and things like that. Um, and, and, you know, back-to-back video calls is still very much the the reality for lots of people. And, you know, also going to the office and having video calls with people who who, who aren't there. So, as you say, we, we, we are going through this sort of stage of, experimentation at the moment to really work out what's going on. One of the things that's interesting to me is the increases that we might have seen in terms of productivity. Have you seen any data or you know, found anything interesting in terms of how productivity might have improved as we've kind of moved to these new ways of working? The data's mixed on that. Um, broadly, a panel of economists were asked by the London School of Economics to to give their judgment of how they believed hybrid working, remote working was going to impact productivity. They broadly came down on the perspective of saying, look, we don't believe there's going to be a huge upside on productivity. Where there is a huge upside is on worker satisfaction. And what we witness with worker satisfaction is that it's through the roof. Workers are much happier about working from home, largely because they're saving on average about two hours a day. And so actually where there may be a slight productivity gain is that most workers, based on Microsoft data, if they're saving about two and a quarter hours, they're gifting back about 45 minutes of that to their firm. So workers are on average working for 45 minutes longer. Net net, they're saving an hour and a half because of like the the overall savings. So so they still see it as a good trade-off. So we are seeing workers work more. There's a slight caveat in the sense that we don't necessarily call that productivity because productivity is output divided by time. So so workers are working more. It's not necessarily making them more efficient or more productive, but it is moving us in the direction. It is moving us in the direction of we are getting more done. So I think, you know, broadly um, what we're witnessing is that hybrid working, remote working is a worker satisfaction play. And that obviously has big implications for recruiters, for for, um, employers, because if you now say going forward, uh, we're going to take this away from people, you're effectively saying, I'm going to make your life, your work, work work-life balance less satisfying. What we know from the evidence about that is that um, when we ask workers who used to walk to work, um, workers, for example, who can walk to work, generally were willing to to accept less pay. And what we're witnessing now is that workers who are being told that they, they need to go to the office every day are expecting more pay. So it's it's sort of got a big swing, I think, um, on, in general, if we're asking workers to work five days a week in the office, they're expecting about 30% more pay. Now, no doubt there are some employers who are going, hang on a second, I used to get that for free. I used to have people in the office five days a week and sadly, I think that ship has sailed. There's just been a change in the market. Now, you could well say that this might be changed by the, the fact that we're about to go into something of a recession. 
or something of a certainly a, a harder job market and and potentially you know we might see an adaptation on this but right now i think uh, we're in a zone where the we, we are witnessing a fundamental change in the expectations of workers and and it is having an impact on the recruitment market one of the big selling points for organizations when it comes to recruitment talent acquisition is their culture and in the past culture's always been such a big part of employer branding and it was something that you could you could kind of literally see and feel and hear as you as you walked into walked into a building how do you think hybrid working remote working is 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 making companies think about culture differently how are they sort of driving culture through through that change and how can they use it as a selling point in recruitment Culture used to be one of the things that happened by accident. And the parallel for me is the way you used to go out and you used to socialize when you were 18 compared to the way you socialize when you're a bit older, certainly with longstanding friends. The way you'd socialize when you're 18 was that it was Tuesday night and you were going out, or it was Wednesday night and you were going out, or it was Thursday night and you were going out. And it was very ad hoc. It was very improvised. It was very ad- adapted to the moment. And so as a consequence, out of nowhere, one of the nights would be glorious and, and one of the nights would be quiet. Increasingly, as we get older, if we want to stay connected to our friendship group or to people who matter to us, we curate those moments of gathering. We, we say, okay, we're going to, we've got a lovely reunion. We're all going away somewhere. We've booked somewhere. We're doing something. And we, we know that if we're going to service the relationships that are meaningful to us, then sending a text to friends that you haven't seen for two years saying we're meeting in waters, uh, in Weatherspoons on uh, Tuesday at six o'clock isn't going to cut it. So we need to be a bit more intentional about relationships that we want to feel as significant. And that's the principal change that we're going to witness now. Organizations who are going to try and create culture are going to recognize that there's no substitute for being face-to-face with each other. There's no substitute for really heartfelt affiliation and connection, but you need to to curate those things in a slightly more intentional way. So, you know, what I've witnessed with some organizations is they've hired community managers, people who internally their job is to just almost uh, create, prepare, invent gatherings and rituals that are going to forge this connection. So most definitely there's been a fundamental change in these things, but I think there's no reason in, in what I've witnessed, there's no reason why you can't have strong cultures from people who don't spend as much time with each other, you know, and, and the example I give you with that is, is friendship groups as we, we maybe sort of move apart from people, but we also witness really strong examples of it in, in online communities. Uh, generally they've got a strong meetup culture to so the best on online communities, but they can certainly feel a bond with each other uh, that isn't necessarily dependent on seeing each other every day. A quick message from our sponsor, Winolo. Hi everyone, I want to tell you about Winolo. That's W-O-N-O-L-O. Winolo stands for Work Now Locally. Winolo enables businesses to find quality workers for on-demand, seasonal, short-term and long-term work. Ditch the bulky paperwork and interview process and use Winolo to find quality workers fast and get work done even faster. With flexible workers and no platform fees, you can save on operating costs, meet demand and maximise earnings with ease. 
Winolo is available in over 100 markets, including Chicago, Dallas, Atlanta, New York, and Seattle. Get workers who are ready to work and spend less time finding them with Winolo. Go to www.winolo.com slash pod. That's www.wonolo.com slash pod and take the stress out of finding workers. I also think it really brings home the point that employers should really be innovating and experimenting and really looking at how they can uh you know i suppose embrace this this new area this new era of work and i think one of the things unfortunately at the moment is we're tending to see as i said we're tending to see all the kind of the the, the negative headlines the the companies who want people to come back to the office you know 9 to 5 8 to 8 <laughs> whatever it is every day of the week and i think um you know there are some fantastic innovations and really interesting things going on as you as you sort of as you sort of mentioned there what other innovations have you seen you know what other, what other things are companies doing to to really sort of shape the way that they're going to work as organizations over the next few years yeah i think um probably they're thinking far more about how the office is a tool rather than a something that they mandate so what i've seen is some firms have said Dropbox in the US. I'm always cautious, actually, of saying that US firms are, or tech firms have got the answers because from firsthand experience, I know that that uh, very often isn't the case. But what we are seeing is a bit more experimentation with some of the tech firms. So Dropbox say that increasingly their office, they regard it as a studio. It's a place you come for experiences. Uh, Salesforce said something similar. Salesforce have created a retreat. They see, to some extent, the office is the new off-site location in the in the old ways that you'd go off-site and if you wanted to do some thinking or some connection or some collaboration or some creativity now you come to the office to do all of those things so uh there's there's most definitely been a adaptation in the way we're using the office and i think that's a critical thing if if your culture is saying people need to be in the office three days a week but it doesn't say what days and it doesn't say why broadly you fall foul of one of the challenges that we're witnessing here that people are going to make their way into the office. Uh, increasingly, I the more people I chat to, I often say to people, how much is your fare into London, your tube fare, your train fare into London, or your train fare into Manchester, or how long is your drive into the city centre of York, or whatever their commuting situation is. And you often are reminded with what a presence this has in people's financial life. So, you know, one guy last week told me that his train fare from Bedford every day is £25. It's like, okay, that's a big investment, actually. And what one organization, Leesman, who do research on these things said, is that workers are very willing to do it if you can explain to them the workplace why. So if you can explain to them why they are spending £25 and the benefit they're getting from it, they'll do it. But if you're asking people to spend £25, so maybe if they're going in three times a week, they're spending £75, they can't get a rail card for it because unfortunately it's journeys after three times a week that rail cards make sense. So it's not making sense for that. They're spending £75 getting in. If they're then spending all day on video calls, they'll very quickly start thinking this system doesn't make sense. This system doesn't, it isn't built for purpose. And so that's when you're going to start getting a degree of subversion, a degree of rebellion. 
And so I think just thinking about what's our, our objective of the office, what are we trying to accomplish with the office? I think you know that's a really important consideration for us right now. You mentioned earlier companies giving you know someone a role to create these sort of purposeful gatherings and networking opportunities and, and socialization and all that sort of stuff. How else do you think the the kind of I suppose the, the management infrastructure of companies is 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 likely to change? You know what uh, yeah what effect will this have on things traditional functions like HR for example? What other new functions could we expect to see? I think you know one of the ones that I've witnessed is the community manager, and I think firms thinking about how work might look different. So one of the things that increasingly is going to be relevant is maybe having something of a studio space or somewhere where the boss can record a video for everyone or you know maybe members of the team might need to create more video content and so having somewhere that's suited to that at home so these things are are a critical consideration slightly re-engineering how we're going to use the office is a critical consideration and i think anyone who's thinking about how work is adapting probably needs to think about what roles are going to be important, what aspects of the job are going to be important. So one of the things that I've witnessed is increasingly we're going to need to maybe get more things down on commit knowledge to whether it's video or, or electronic communication. So for example, if there's a best way to do something in your system, then there's a best way to a, a best procedure getting someone to video how they do that is actually quite a helpful tool I, I met someone recently and she said we've been going through all of the people who joined our organization in the last two years and what we've witnessed is the ones who joined and were learning at home they've learned very different ways to do uh sort of core tasks than the people who work here right that's a really in- important detail and and maybe you know creating these little navigated setup sessions where you know someone's just videoing their screen and talking how they do something is an important consideration it's not something that we've got in the system right now it's not something that we're used to it's not in our muscle memory so just thinking about what the the jobs that we need to do that maybe have not been important before is a really critical aspect of this adaptation we're going through I think that's really interesting. And I'm thinking of an example of a a friend of mine who changed jobs in the pandemic, very experienced, talented person, but just changing organizations with different processes, slightly different software, different procedures was a nightmare because, you know, he knew how to do his, how to do his role, but just not having that opportunity to kind of watch over someone's shoulder or ask a quick question, uh, you know, having to book an entire Zoom call to ask how to log into something. It's really interesting that you kind of highlight that. And I suppose it's all those, those things that we never used to think about that we have to now really pay attention to in a, in a different environment that are going to be the, the, the key to success here. I think that's the the critical thing. The thing I've witnessed is that the organizations who are trying to just proceed and do things that have, that have been normal before are the ones who aren't necessarily capturing the benefit of the moment. So the amount of organizations I've met, I was with another organization last week and they're like, yeah, we're thinking because things aren't going well, there is a sense that maybe we will start trying to get people back to the office more. And I think to a large extent that's missing the moment. But in addition, the the challenge of that is that it's going to make it more difficult to recruit. One of the critical parts of this is that it's been incredibly popular with 
the vast majority of workers. And, and what we're witnessing is that when people are quitting their job, flexibility is one of the critical components. Now, I chatted to one professor from Harvard Business School, and he goes further than that. He says that his perspective is that in the future, um, we need to understand the demands of top talent because they will, they define the, the way that uh, the market evolves. So what he says is that he says that anytime we've seen an evolution in the the norms of of a work uh, environment. So you know the example he gives is that when we saw that top, uh, that people were demanding email on their phones, it was top talent demanding email on their phones. They were sort of saying, you know. I've, I've witnessed that other people in the organization have got a BlackBerry. I want, I want email on my phone. And, you know, a few years ago, uh, top talent started demanding laptops rather than desktops or top talent started demanding the, the flexibility that they could access their emails from, from remote computers. Now he says, so, so this professor, Professor Raj Chowdhury, he says that top talent is demanding that, uh, they can work from anywhere. So not in the office two days a week, not in the office, three days a week, top talent is demanding that they can work from anywhere. Now, whether that is going to be the end up position or not, it gives you a real big wake up call. Because if you, if your discussion is, can we get people back to the office for four days a week? Or, you know, can we change the way we do this? You know, you, you need to be aware that that is going to make it more difficult to hire top talent, not less difficult. So I think, you know, the, the two things I always ask people to think about, I ask people to think about the network effect when it comes to trying to build their new culture, you know, trying to get a critical mass of people in the office at any point and the market effect that at any point, if we're, if we're thinking about adaptations, we need to think about how is this going to make us look in the jobs market? So I think that's, those two things are important thought processes in, in important, important models of thinking as we go forwards. Again, it's really interesting because as things do get trickier, as we go through the year, there you know there are sort of severe economic problems going on all around the world, which you know don't look like they're going to get better anytime soon. Then, then that does put pressure on some organisations, and I can see that many would have this reflex reaction that we need to get everyone back in the office because that will somehow make a difference and it will somehow take us back to where we were before. But as you point out, there they they could end up in much more trouble if that was the that was the approach they took. Yeah, overall, the, the learning of the last two years is that organisations can't act autonomously here. So you can't necessarily say, well, this is our policy and that's what we're doing. Organisations who've tried to act with any degree of autonomy and not thinking they're part of a market have pretty quickly realised that it's having an impact on quit, quit rates. And look, you, you might think you've got the freedom and the flexibility to change these things. Almost certainly, you're going to witness yourself in a situation where there's going to be an embarrassing backtrack. Uh, you know, broadly, if you imagine it this way, organizations who uh, give their workers more autonomy, who give their workers more flexibility, conceivably might be able to downscale their office space, conceivably won't have to pay the 30% premium to have workers in the office all the time. And they're showing greater agility to think about how work is going to look in 10 years rather than try to create a version of work was in was in the workforce for them when they joined the workforce in the 1990s. So I think, you know, it's a critical moment. One of the things that we've always said to employees, team members, colleagues, 
is that you know we need to embrace constant change. The modern world of work has constant change, and uh, and right now I think this is a really important test for all of us because constant change has come for us. And now we need to we need to demonstrate that we're able we're, we're up to the challenge of of meeting up to this constant change ourselves. So, as a final question to you, you, you you've sort of mentioned recruiting and top talent and the things that organisations need to do to be competitive in the talent market and make sure they're getting the best chance of getting the talent that they need. To summarise that, what would your advice be to the talent acquisition professionals who are listening in terms of how they might approach their strategy towards attracting talent over the next couple of years? I think flex is going to be a really important component. And if the organization you're in is not offering flex, or you're not going to be able to offer flex to candidates, then almost certainly you need to go back to the organization and say, Fine, I can proceed with that, but I, I should give you, I should give you the indication that we think we're going to have to pay more in the absence of flex. Flex is the new pay, and so that's an important consideration. I think increasingly, it's a good idea for any of us to to look at that moment, uh, the moment we're in, and to say, okay, where do we think? the world of work is going to be in five and 10 years rather than where was it and and what could we do? Because if we want to be forward facing and and be thinking about the the way that the, the world of work is going to evolve, almost certainly having a nostalgic perspective of what work used to be like is going to be a limiting factor, actually. It's going to limit our ability to see clearly how we can adapt. So I think, you know, big challenges for all of us are conceivably something we can reframe as uh, big opportunities. But the the critical thing right now is that the the evidence is that work from home, while it might not necessarily be a productivity play, is a huge, hugely popular uh, sort of work benefit. And as a consequence of that, we can't really ignore it. Bruce, thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you. My thanks to Bruce. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list to get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.